This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and by day, I lead career management for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. Happy 2021. Of course, we can't say that enough. We are so excited to be in a new year and thrilled to be bringing you lots of new content here on Dr. Dawn on careers. So mark your calendars for noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific every Thursday and tune into channel 132 for the latest job tips, career advice, and market updates. And of course, we are so happy to be here with Dion Simpkins, our engineer, and Dana Cash, our producer, who make this show sound awesome every week. So today, we're really excited to have Josh Burson join the show to give you the insider scoop on what you need to do to prepare for success in your career this year. Josh Burson is a world-renowned industry analyst focused on corporate HR, talent management, leadership development, and HR technology. He's the founder of Burson and Associates, which was sold to Deloitte and is now Burson by Deloitte. And every year, Josh speaks with hundreds of HR technology companies, visits hundreds of clients, and embarks on many, many case studies about new ideas and solutions. And he's here today on Dr. Don on Careers to share his findings and insights with you so that 2021 can be your best career yet. Welcome back to the show, Josh. Thank you, Don. It's fun to be here again. Well, I know you've got lots of exciting things that that is that are coming out, and I'm excited to to get a sneak preview of some of those today, including your new book, which I want to get to in a moment. But as you were a kickoff guest for Dr. Don on Careers last year in January, mm-hmm. back in 2020, and Whoa, things have changed in a year. (laughs) While certainly no one could have foresaw the events that happened since then, I actually went back and listened to that show from a year ago. And and guess what? Did it make any sense? No, I was going to (laughs) say most everything still applies. And the biggest change is that everything's been accelerated. So we talked about um, mobility. We talked about gig work, the emergence of hybrid roles, the myth of job security. We discussed the need to reinvent and become adept in new tech tools and data analytics. We also talked about expertise having a shorter shelf life and, and tech companies foregoing traditional degrees and moving toward potential over pedigree and the rise of AI and remote work and that career management needs to be self-driven. So we've talked about all those things. So, so I mean, in essence, Josh, we could just play that show and say Josh is is a fortune teller because he knows what's coming. Well, you know, I it's funny, I, I agree with you because I, I to me the pandemic was an interruption of a, of a 11 or 12 year cycle that was already happening. You know, because a lot of the things that we see in our jobs and careers and at work um, have been building up slowly since the 2008 financial crisis. And then the pandemic essentially shot basically adrenaline into everything. Um, Everything, flexibility, you know, new jobs, new careers, new roles, uh, mobility sort of got accelerated at a light speed this year. So I'm glad you feel that way because that's certainly the way I see it too. Yeah, and we were talking about that a year ago around this time about that there was that that impending recession coming. Of course, we didn't see it coming in in this fashion, but I think that everything we talked about is is here and what is different is that people now realize it because it's impacted them directly. So while a year ago, you might've been able to think, well, I have a little bit of time before I have to worry about that now the time is here. So, so is there, out of that list, um, what would you say in all of your research over the last year, what trend has been accelerated the most? 
Well, I mean, the one that's been the most different is the need for resilience and pacing yourself and flexibility and, and learning how to work under high degrees of stress and very uncomfortable situations. You know, I, I mean, there's a high degree of work-related stress in 2020 that we did that's different from just general stress. It was all of the, you know, the d disruptive things that happened. Um, and I think for anybody that's a, you know, a professional or a job seeker or looking to improve your career, you know, learning how to take a deep breath and deal with, um, you know, remote work or, you know, a manager who's, uh, who's maybe stressed out. So he or she is not behaving well, working in a team of people where some of the people in the team have small children at home or a dog that's barking in the background <laughs> or the internet goes down and you can't hear somebody and then they don't come back on for 10 minutes. There's a lot of patience and flexibility required to be successful today. But if you're willing to, to sort of dial that back and, and act that way, you can still have an incredibly good career right now and, and even better because companies are growing, the economy is growing. There's a, there's a lot of organizations that are booming at the moment, even through the recessions, through the um, pandemic. So, um, so I just think it's a lot of the soft skills became very important this year. Absolutely. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM Business Radio Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and we are very fortunate to be here with Josh Burson. He's the founder of the Josh Burson Academy and is speaking about all of the predictions you need to be aware of for 2021. And we know that, Josh, you got it right in one of the hardest years ever to predict. So we are all going to be listening to, to what you are saying. One thing we didn't talk as much about last year that I feel like is the buzzword of of now is upskilling or reskilling. Mm -hmm. We're hearing yeah. this over and over and over again. And um, what what do we foresee around this? Because I think companies have, because of this acceleration, have realized that the talent they need in terms of specifically tech talent isn't there. And they've switched to this upskilling, reskilling right. model. Well, there's three things to do. I mean, there's three parts of upskilling. Number one is technical skills. So if you're an engineer or a marketing professional or even a salesperson, um, you as, a, as, a, as an employee have to stay current on the tools and technologies in your domain. And that's something you can do yourself. And you should ask your employer and expect your employer to give you access to good education and training and programs and videos so you can keep up to date because you're not gonna have time to you know, be unproductive anymore. So, so that, that's number one. Number two is learning to be a leader. And I know, you know some of the people listening to this may not be in leadership roles, but actually you are. If you're a nurse, if you're a retail worker, if you're working on a project team, uh, if you're an IT person, if you're a software engineer, you are almost always working in groups of people where your ability to communicate, influence, um, create a, alignment, work towards a decision, um, learn from others, those are leadership skills. So the second part of upskilling, and companies are really working on this, is going back to what we used to call soft skills, which I call power skills, and really making sure people are getting feedback on their personal skills. And then the third thing that's really big right now in upskilling is AI. Um, all of the content providers and tools providers that sell um, training-related you know, uh, infrastructure to companies are getting smarter and smarter and smarter where the systems will tell you what you probably should learn next. So if you're an HR person, I know you're out there looking at these things and buying them, but if you're an employee, um, you know, make sure that the way you're learning is um, taking advantage of the uh, related topics that the system tells you. Like if you're a software engineer and it teaches you something about cybersecurity, it will show you what the adjacent capabilities are that you need to be aware of, even if you didn't know what they were. So that's, that's really taken off in the last couple of years. And it's um, another big part of the learning experience, which leads me to sort of the bigger picture, which is, I think, first of all, your job as an employee or, or a leader is to always be learning and looking for adjacent topics 
that are relevant to what you're doing today. Because every job, as we talked about a year ago, is getting a little more hybridized where it's not only one thing anymore. And so uh, your ability to uh, you know, kind of know what some of the cross-disciplinary topics are that are gonna matter will help you get promoted, it'll help you be more effective and it'll help you become a mentor to others. So those are all things going on to me in the upskilling topic. Which I, I think Josh is so important because people are recognizing now if they've been impacted by the pandemic that certain industries aren't going to be coming back or at least not the way they once were. And that when they look online for jobs, it's all about tech and data analysis. And so I'm curious if somebody is not in a position where their company is offering some type of upskilling or reskilling, where, where do you recommend they go? There's so many new resources emerging and how do you know what is reputable and what is mm -hmm. going to translate into an actual employment situation? You know, I would go to a, a learning website or online academy, like we have one of our own. That's what we do for HR basically. And you know, it's not very expensive. You know, you go to LinkedIn Learning, you go to one of the tech websites, O'Reilly, there's many of them in technology. There's a lot of them in leadership. And you might have to pay a couple hundred dollars to get in, but it's well worth it. I mean, for the things you'll be exposed to. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of stuff on YouTube, but you have to be a little more careful finding what you want. You may waste a lot of time there. Um, and then talk to your friends and find somebody who you admire, who has the ideal job or the ideal role that you always wanted and reach out to them. And you know what? The chances are they're going to call you back and they'll probably talk to you and give you some advice. I mean, I get that all the time. And I'm always honored when somebody reaches out to me and asks me for help. I, I do everything I can to try to help them. So th that, that will point you in the right direction and ask them, you know, how did you become good at this? Or what would you recommend I do next? Or is there a role you think or a project I could work on? Um, and so that's the last thing I would say is find projects in your current company or in the outside world that will help you learn the things you want to learn. Um, because most learning happens on the job by doing something. Um, and so if you get a chance to join a team or work on a project on an initiative that feels like something you want to know how to do, I guarantee you it'll be one of the best learning experiences of your life. And those are all things that don't cost much money, if anything, and are available to anyone. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, Josh, that, that sometimes if we just look around our current organization, there's opportunities to partner with or shadow or get to know people in other departments who can really teach us a lot, not about just that, in, that part of the industry or that topic, but how our work relates and gives us a broader perspective. I think a lot of people also tend to not use resources provided by their company because either they're not aware of them or they maybe just don't think of them. But, but some companies do offer training dollars that can be used outside of the organization. So if you've not asked, I would encourage people who do work for an organization if that type of budget is available and make sure you're not losing those dollars. And I would say for people who maybe are in a place where time or money is a constraint, we've, we've had companies like Google and Amazon and IBM on the show this past fall who were talking about, but not only internal training, but they're doing a lot of external training to help people who have been impacted by the pandemic and, and maybe looking to change careers to reskill and upskill in the areas that, that are in high demand and in areas that are well-paying. And so looking around at what is, is available is going to be so helpful. I also love that you talked about networking because we don't have to do this alone. We can certainly look at, at our friends, at our family, at what other people are doing, or review LinkedIn and look at what people who have a career path that you're interested in have done and even reach out to them and see if they're willing to speak with you. So I do think to your point, Josh, we have to be the managers of our career and right. both seek out those resources that might be available to us that may not you know, be as obvious, but also design our own training program to some extent that fits our needs. 
Well, yeah, let me just reinforce one thing you just said, Don. The, the, um, if I think back about my career, you know, I'm in my 60s, the most valuable learning I had for the first 10 years was following around people that I admired who were willing to help me, literally following them around. Uh, they would take me on sales calls. We, they'd sit and talk to me about a project I was trying to do. I would ask some questions and they'd answer them. Um, you, everybody has those people. They're in your life, they're in your company, they're in your network. Maybe they're friends of, of yours or friends of friends of yours. Um, don't forget to do that because they're gonna point you in the right direction and give you a lot of good advice. Training courses and content is good, but you know it's not everything. And so uh, you know, I, I just don't want you to forget about using the human network that you have and with or without LinkedIn. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on SiriusXM Business Radio Channel 132. And if you've missed an episode like the ones we were just talking about a few minutes ago with Google, Amazon, and IBM, you can find them on my podcast very easily by just subscribing to Dr. Dawn on Careers, where you'll find over 250 shows with fantastic guests and great job search and career advice. So if you are just tuning in, you've caught a great show because we are here with Josh Burson, who is a workplace futurist, founder of Josh Burson Academy, and also author of the, the new Kindle release, HR Technology 2021, the definitive guide, everything you want to know about buying, implementing, and mm -hmm. investing in HR technology. So I want to talk about this a little bit, Josh, because I know you've sure. got lots of yeah. great information coming out. And you know, one of the things that really has struck me over the last year is that for chief human resource, resource officers, their roles are expanding in incredible ways. So they used to, you know, oversee policy, maybe performance and talent and rewards, but now they need to look at well-being, mental health, mm -hmm. DEI, internal mobility, alternative work schedules. So how is this even possible for, for one company? And I'm guessing this is where the tech comes in. Well, yeah, the job of HR over the years has become more strategic year by year. And that last year, 2020, you know, HR people sort of got marched into the CEO's office and said, okay, make sure everybody's safe around here and that people can come to work and we can get stuff done. Um, so, so HR people have dealt with everything from, you know, how do you hire people? How do you fire people? How do we stay inclusive and diverse? How do we pay people fairly? How do we deal with performance management? How do we build leadership? How do we do career management, uh, succession management, health and safety? I mean, there's a lot of topics. And you know, I think the HR profession has turned into a center of innovation where you're not just implementing policies and writing manuals, you're actually coming up with creative ideas and solutions to you know, unforeseen problems like the pandemic. So, um, so it's become a very, very dynamic profession and a lot of people just love being in it. And technology is a critical part of it because, you know, everybody knows that, you know, very high percentage of your work experience has to do with the tools and the systems that you use. And all of these things that happen in HR have to do with transactions and journeys and, you know, experiences that people have at work. So there's this massive multi-hundred billion dollar market of software tools for HR that people need. That's what the book is about, is really kind of making sense of all that and explaining what all of it is and how the different vendors um, are evolving. But I think as an HR person, if, if you are an HR person or if you're working with an HR person, you have to give technology a healthy dose of respect because that is part of your job. You can't sort of expect the IT person to buy everything that you need because what happens is if the HR tools are hard to use or maybe don't work very well, you're going to get the blame. <laughs> so you're, you know, sort of have a double responsibility. You have the responsibility of taking care of all, all of the people issues, but you also have a responsibility for taking care of what we now call the employee experience, which means uh, creating is a frictionless experience that's easy for people to do their work. Um, so so it's become a, you know, a major part of HR and, you know, a lot of HR professionals are 
you know, quite experienced with software. They, they understand how to use data. They get to know a lot of vendors. So, so the HR profession has is, is a, is a lot of technology affiliated with it now. So I want to, I definitely want to dig into the employee experience and, and even the job seeker experience, because I'm curious how all of this new technology is going to impact that. But I, but I also want to throw out some, some general news uh, from Asana who did their anatomy of work study, which surveyed thousands of workers across the US, UK, Australia, Germany, and Japan. And this is not at all surprising as an outcome, but employees are struggling with productivity and burnout and about 90% of workers, so nine to 10 have experienced burnout in the last year and 92% report that they're working later hours. So it's likely if you're listening to this, you're probably in a, a similar boat or experiencing some of these things. And certainly while you're not alone, it's clear we need to address it. So, so Josh, you show well-being and mental health as being an area that employers are addressing more. What help can U.S. employees expect from their employers in terms of help in this, this very critical area? Well, it's a massive area of focus right now. Um, the first thing on burnout, well, obviously the systems have to work. So, you know, buy software that's easy to use and try to buy it in an integrated package so you don't have a hundred different tools doing a hundred different things. But, you know, that isn't really the answer. The people that are feeling burned out, and I know that's the data's, you know, pretty, pretty common everywhere I look. Um, the answer to burnout isn't more tools it's fewer meetings. It's giving people more space. It's giving people more flexibility. It's relaxing the time schedule because right now somebody might have a kid at home or an issue with their household that they can't deal with. Um, and just being more patient and forgiving of the workforce. People will do great work if you just trust them and give them the flexibility to do it into the, under the conditions that are best for them. And one of the things about working at home that I've learned for many years, because I've worked at home and had people working for me at home for a long time, is there are times when you're working at home or remotely when you can just be completely intense and very, very um, aggressive about getting something done. And then there are times where you just need to let people go and leave them alone and let them deal with whatever's happening in their own life. And they'll finish what they needed to do in, in time. And that's a very subtle set of management behaviors that you need to learn, as well as really hearing what people are dealing with. Um, you know, most employees will not say to their boss, you know, I'm having a big problem at home and so I can't get this done. They won't say anything. It'll just be late or it'll be done poorly. So you have to be open enough to create what's called psychological safety, where people feel comfortable bringing up issues that are uh, problematic either for them or for the team. So you as a leader can, can know what you can do to make things better. I, I think a lot of what managers and team leaders have to do right now is think about themselves in, as continuously listening and coaching everybody around them, <clears throat> including yourself, because <clears throat> being a manager and being a leader is very, very hard right now with all these changes taking place. Um, so, so I don't think it's just about making you know, great technology decisions. It's also really like giving people the flexibility to get the work done in the best way that works best for them. So we talk about this, this you mentioned leadership being very important skill for everybody. And, and now we're talking about creating psychological safety. It appears that all of our skill sets need to expand, but but that's a pretty tough one, I think, for a lot of leaders who have, have goals that are around productivity and um, you know, maybe safety, is that they're really trying to kind of hone in on what's measured and what they're rewarded on versus uh, some of these other things. And we've obviously seen a lot of, of women leave the workforce because they're trying to juggle taking care of homeschooling and other things. So we, we've, I recognize that there are certain things that are going to change as we move out of the pandemic, hopefully, but, but this is huge to tackle. How do, how, do we, how do companies really instill these skills in their workforce, or do they bring in outside external experts to do it? Well, I mean, I don't know. There's all sorts of experts that'll kind of give you classes on everything, but 
I don't know if that's really the answer. I, I think is for the top leadership to, you know, if you're the founder of the company or the CEO or the boss, to take a step back and make sure that you are not creating the wrong environment or setting the wrong example. You know, if you're a working professional with no children, working, you know, 12 hours a day, sending emails on Saturdays and Sundays, bugging people to get things done, you're setting a bad example. Because <laughs> not everybody has a life like that. I mean, you know, founders, I, I work very hard. I work a lot of hours, but I'm very, very careful not to bug people on weekends or at night just because I happen to be doing something then. And my kids are grown and out of the house, so I have more flexibility. But I know a lot of people don't. I know I have people working for me that have kids with disabilities and a whole, and I have a lot of women working for us, you know, that have working spouses. So, you know, I'm very sensitive to that. And I know that these are people that will do incredible things if we give them flexibility. So a lot of this is leaders teaching each other. Um, many of the things I've seen in, in large organizations today where they have a lot of formal training is, has been not more formal training, but more informal training, more, let's get on the phone and talk for an hour and talk about what's going on and who's having problems, um, you know, among the leadership team, among the management team. So different managers can say, you know, I've been really having a problem with a group doing so-and-so and somebody else will say, well, we tried this and that worked. That is actually almost a better solution at this point than hiring a consultant to come and teach a bunch of people how to do work-life balance or something. Yeah, no, I agree. I think we all need to learn how to, to adapt individually to what's happening around us. And I know a lot of people listening right now, Josh, who say, oh, man, I wish my manager had had half of the emotional <laughs> intelligence that, that Josh is sharing with us right now, because I think I think they're they're in a very tight position between trying to juggle everything, trying to keep their jobs and uh, dealing with either leadership or managers who don't have that level. Well, of and I think, you know, one of the, one of the skills I talk to my kids about this, my kids are in their twenties and thirties, um, somewhere in your well of, of self-confidence, you have to be able to talk to your manager and give them a little feedback, um, in a way that they don't get angry. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be the key. And everybody's different. And, you know, but, but, um, you know, Anyway, there's different ways to do that, but, but, but just simply saying to them, you know, listen, I'm working on this. I really plan on getting it done, but I need some time off because this is going on in my family. And then they might say, oh, okay, well, I didn't really realize that. Thank you for telling me. I mean, little things like that go a long way. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and we're here with Josh Burson, founder of the Josh Burson Academy, a professional development academy, which has become the home for human resources in past months. We need to take a quick break, but stay tuned because we'll be back with many more workplace predictions that will help you make this your best career yet. This is Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. On Business Radio. Dr. Don on Careers on Sirius XM channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And if you've missed any of our episodes, you can easily find them podcasted on iTunes by subscribing to Dr. Don on Careers. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Dr. Don Graham to get the latest advice. And don't forget, I have a new YouTube channel with video shorts, which are two to three minute of career advice to share every week. So be sure to subscribe to that as well so you don't miss a thing. We are so excited to be speaking with Josh Burson today. He's a workplace futurist, founder of the Josh Burson Academy, and has many, many publications that you can follow in Forbes, Harvard Business Review, HR Executive, The Wall Street Journal, and CLO Magazine, as well as many other places. And, and Josh, where can where can people go to find a collection of your work or to follow the many, many predictions you have coming out in the next few weeks? 
Well, I think the, the best place is the, is the website joshperson.com, which is kind of my hub of just about everything. And then if you're an HR person and you're interested in joining our academy, it's bursonacademy.com. So those are the two kind of hubs. And then I have a Twitter feed and a pretty big following on LinkedIn also. So um, those are the main places. We are going to dive into more about the employee experience and what's changing for everybody in 2021, but... You've got mail. I think we have a mailbag, Dina. Yes, we do. We have a email from Deanna in Georgia. She says, Dear Dr. Don, 2020 was unexpected to say the least. I had planned to make a major career change into event planning, specifically large national and global conference events, but that no longer seems like a viable option. Currently, I work as an attorney, so I'm still employed, but I despise what I do. Since graduating law school about 10 years ago, I've learned that I'm a people person and really enjoy hosting others, traveling, and organizing details. So I was really never excited. So I was really excited to have found a career that seemed to be ideal for my personality and interests. Now that there's a pandemic, I'm lost. What would you recommend? Is there any hope for large-scale events in the future? Wow. So I, one word I, that I picked out from that, um, thank you, Dana, was despise. When somebody says they despise what they do, that's, that's a pretty strong word. So I'm thinking that, uh, that Deanna's question is one that a lot of people have, which is what, what's going to come back, what's going to bounce back and what's not going to bounce back. So event planning, large conferences, maybe concerts, things like that, Josh, what, what do you see in your crystal ball? Okay. That's a very interesting um, email because I actually talked to somebody just like this the other day. Um, the fact that this person likes to manage events, schedule things, work on logistics and details, um, that those are skills that can be used in a whole bunch of other places. For example, there's a massive amount of online event marketing going on, massive. Companies are doing online onboarding programs, online conferences, online webinars, and they need somebody to manage all that stuff. And it's very, very complex. And there's lots of aspects to it that are not that different from doing a real event. And you get to work with a lot of people. You get to meet a lot of people. You get to see them on video. So I, I think that's a perfect example of somebody doing a good job of assessing what they like to do and not forcing themselves to be associated with a career that they don't enjoy. And now take that, you know, that understanding and go out and apply it. So, so what I would say is, Take a look at marketing events. There's marketing event managers and marketing event directors and all sorts of things that go on like that that might be a perfect fit for this particular person. So it's interesting you say that, Josh, because we had somebody on this show last week who he was the CEO of a company who is creating holopresent, so holographic images to, mm -hmm. to basically project all over the world for for public speaking appearances and conferences. And so to your point, I think a lot of work is being done to create or recreate, I should say, these experiences using technology. And I, I love your advice to Deanna about thinking about this in a different way. And I think that's what a lot of people need to do is the same way restaurants have functioned over the last year, thinking about ghost kitchens or thinking about offering you know, delivery food and things like that. So everything is going to have a tech base. But I guess my question is, what if, what if um, not everybody is inclined to tech? And I know that yeah. is something that we're all going to need to get used to. But what if somebody really doesn't want a tech-based career, Josh? Well, I mean, you can go into healthcare, nursing. Uh, there's a massive growth in um, personal care-related jobs. You know, they're a little bit more dangerous at the moment with COVID, but there's those kinds of jobs. Sales jobs are not tech jobs. They're all about people, conversations, um, listening, uh, empathizing, persuading. Those are human jobs. Um, management jobs are usually not tech jobs. You're leading a team, leading a project, leading a function. Uh, people in those roles that are really, really successful don't have a lot of technical background or don't, they don't really need it. Um, Marketing creative jobs are not really that technical. And in fact, I mean, most of us use technology, but very few of us design it or build it. Um, I don't think you have any choice but to be comfortable using technology and, 
And I think most people can do that. You know, the tech workforce, as much as everybody talks about it, is only about six or 7% of the workforce at most. Um, so you don't have to be a tech worker to find a great job. Um, I mean, if you are a tech worker and you like to build software and write code, great, good for you. There's lots of things to do. But even cybersecurity, for example, is not a job of technology. Cybersecurity people are more like auditors or detectives. Uh, they don't sit around and write code, at least most of them don't. So, so I wouldn't be too worried about it. I, I think there's a massive number of careers and opportunities that don't require to be a traditional tech worker. Um, and, and so, you know, just look a little bit more broadly and you'll find it. Yeah, and thank you, Deanna, uh, in Georgia for writing in. I think that, that you have a lot of options in this space from what Josh and I have been talking about. They may look slightly different, but they may be equally as um, interesting to you just because they're done on tech doesn't necessarily change some of the other pieces that you seem to be interested in. And one thing I would say, if you're at a point where you despise your job, that's a really powerful word to listen to because being that it sounds like you were working for 10 years, you have a long career ahead of you. And that is a long time to be in a position where you're doing something that just doesn't click with you. So thank you so much. If you have a question, you can send it to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. You're listening to SiriusXM channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And we are very excited to be here today with Josh Burson, who's the founder of the Josh Burson Academy, his latest Kindle book, HR Technology 2021, the definitive guide, everything you want to know about buying, implementing, and investing in HR technology, which is out now. And let's talk a little bit about the employee experience, Josh, in an area that has become, um, that has always been, but is has definitely been at the forefront this year, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. What mm -hmm. can we really expect? We've seen a lot of companies hiring in these roles, but but what, what is the tangible result that, that employees can really expect to experience in their workplace? Well, you know, the, the sad story of the whole market in general is it hasn't improved much over the last, you know, 30 or 40 years. There's just as much bias and inequity and barriers for minorities as there were for many years, and the data shows that. Um, but I think as a job seeker or an employee looking for a job or looking for an employer, um, you should look for a comp, if you're a minority or if you feel like you're in a group of people that might get, you know, treated unfairly, <clears throat> look for a company that has obvious uh, glass door ratings or brand or friends that work there that feel like you will be feel like an included person. Um, and you won't know that unless you dig around, you know, I'm not gonna mention any company names, but I'll give you my example in my career. I spent um, six or seven years at a very, very well-known, very big brand company that is highly regarded in the market. Um, I had a nice time there. I made a reasonably good amount of money there and I was treated pretty well. But when I got in there, one of the things I found is it was not a diverse company. It was not an inclusive company. It was not a, um, you know, a caring company. It was a, it was a high performing company. It forked out fine for me, but if I had been a, an African-American woman and wanted to work in this company because I really respected it, I wouldn't have succeeded there probably. Um, and I found that out later. You, you need to dig around. So these companies don't change quickly. They put out great, you know, press releases and they say great things, but most companies have a culture that's, that's very hard to change. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, one of the, we're doing a big research study on this, by the way, it's coming out in February. It's really interesting to see what, what's been going on, but there's a company that does uh, automobile and truck rentals that we did a lot of surveys and conversations with. So they have a lot of blue collar workers, people driving trucks, fixing things, repairmen, and things like that. And the head of HR is really into diversity and inclusion. And he said, you know, we have a lot of young managers hiring people and we deliberately uh, recruit a lot of women to force the hiring managers to accommodate and build a more 
gender diverse workforce. And he said, one of my managers came to me and said, how come all these girls keep applying to my jobs? And he he said, you know, he sort of smiled. He said, okay. He said, well, first of all, you better get used to that because that's the way it's going to be. And, you know, this is a coaching opportunity to talk about why this is happening. (laughs) Why you shouldn't be saying people. Right. It just goes to show. And what he said and what this head of uh, HR said, which I think is a way to think about it. He said, look, I'm not going to change this guy's attitudes, but I can change his behavior. I mean, I can make it impossible for him to hire an all-male team. And he will learn from having women around that that, you know, bias is unjustified. Um, And so this is a great company, by the way. This is a very, very successful, you know, purposeful company. Um, So companies are doing a lot of things to try to change it. But but as a a job seeker, uh, you know, don't go into a company naively think you're going to change everything. I think it's better to do a little bit of homework in advance and make sure it's the kind of culture you really want to be a part of. So Josh, I think, I think what your report is going to show is going to be interesting to people. Um, where can people find that or get access to that? So if you go to joshburson.com, I promise you we'll promote it as soon as it comes out. It's going to get published in a couple of weeks. <clears throat> it, you know, it's called Elevating Equity. It's going to be the name of the report. And it's, it's six months of heavy duty research, lots of examples, case studies, lots of surveys we did on what's really uh, working in diversity and inclusion and what isn't. And it's a very tricky, complex problem. And the simple story about it is that <clears throat> the companies that are really good at building inclusive environments don't just do it in HR, they do it as part of their business. It's part of their whole business strategy to have inclusive relationships with their customers, with their uh, marketplace with their supply chain, their entire company operates that way. It isn't just an HR thing. Um, so, and, and there's ways of finding that out by looking at the brand of the company and the way they do business and who their customers are that, that are good signals as to whether this is a company that's going to feel right for you. Well, and I think that's helpful information because it's, it's become harder now that we're not interviewing in an office space to really understand culture. You lose a lot of those external cues around just looking around the office and seeing what's on the walls and seeing how people are interacting. And when you're obviously interviewing on Zoom, you may not get all of that. So I do think people need resources to learn about is this going to be a good fit for me? And am I going to be able to do effective work at this company? Some of the things to do when you're online, first of all, interview with as many people as you can, ask for for multiple people to talk to. Look at Glassdoor, look at Fairy, there's a a website called Fairy God Boss. It's all about women's issues at work where women talk about what it's been like to work in different companies. There's actually a lot of very specialized places where uh, people post comments about what it's like to work in different companies. Um, based on diversity issues um, and see if you can find somebody that did, does work there who's a friend of yours or did work there who's a friend of yours and they'll give you some insights on what it's really like too. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to SiriusXM channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We are very excited to be speaking with Josh Burson today from who's the founder of the Josh Burson Academy and is sharing all of uh, his tips and insights for what's coming in the workplace in 2021. And, and specifically, we've been talking about your six month DNI study, Josh. And I'm curious, I know it's not out yet, but can you give our listeners a sneak preview? Is there anything in there that, that shocked you or surprised yeah. you? Well, here's, here's a couple, here's one, one or two very simple things. DEI training doesn't really much. You know, all of these things like take a course on unconscious bias, take a course on the history of racial justice, uh, take a course on, you know, they're, they're useful, but they don't change behavior as much as people would like. What changes behavior and what creates culture is accountability, reward systems, and strategy. Like, you know, if the company uh, formally uh, sets metrics for inclusive hiring, inclusive promotion, uh, women in leadership, pay equity. Well, then that stuff's easy to measure. And you can basically look around the company and say, all right, here's a group that's not behaving in an inclusive way. 
uh, and the metrics don't lie and those people can be held accountable and they can either be replaced or, you know, be given, you know, advice on how to fix the problem. Um, just sprinkling out a bunch of training doesn't create that situation. So we, we saw almost no correlation between the level or investment or type of training and the DEI outcomes, none, very little. So that's one thing that's, you know, people might be a little bit surprised at. Um, the second thing that's the biggest that to me, as I mentioned a minute ago, is for the CEO, not the CHRO, but for the CEO or the business executive to feel like belonging and inclusion and diversity is their problem, not the head of HR's problem. A lot of companies will be marching along on some path and then they'll say, oh, we're not really very diverse. So let's head a, hire a head of diversity. And this person comes in who's like the cheerleader of this whole initiative and creates all these activities and ERGs and things. And the numbers don't change that much because they, they really won't change until the business leaders really feel that it's their responsibility to act this way. And you know that takes time and sometimes it never happens. Uh, there's a long story in the Wall Street Journal that came out about a month ago about Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola had a class action lawsuit in the 70s that cost them almost $200 million for not promoting black people in the leadership, having black, black people were making less money than white people, um, less stock options, all sorts of things. And so the CEO spent a lot of time fixing that. Well, they recently revisited this situation of Coca-Cola and they're back to where they were before. Um, and that's because for some reason, and I don't know the situation that company in great detail, um, you know, the, the culture and the need and the issue wasn't embraced enough in top leadership over the successive executives that came into the company over time after the one, the original one left. So, so that's another big finding there. <clears throat> um, yeah. And the, the one more, the other thing I'd ask is, I'd say is it's a complex problem. It, it's going to take you time if you're a, if you're a business leader. You need to think about it. You need to work on it. You need to listen to people. Let people speak up. All sorts of small things happen at work that are uh, microaggressions or biased. And, and you don't even realize they're happening until you listen to people. So a lot of the great, highly inclusive companies are just really good at listening to people and paying attention to the uh, issues that, that people want to you know, raise at work. I'm curious, Josh, if that um, report includes anything on, on ageism, because I, I hear this a lot from people who reach out to me that obviously there, there are, I think right now, five generations in the, in the workplace, people are working longer, people are living longer, but in the hiring process, uh, this is where a lot of that bias comes out. And in terms of ageism, as people are working longer and tech is becoming bigger, there seems yeah. to be even more of a gap that we're experiencing. Well, I think we talked about that last year. That problem has not gone away. Uh, you know, we live in a, in a, although we do have a president of the United States who's 78 and he's a pretty cool guy. So maybe that'll change some of this. Uh, you know, this idea that young people are, I mean, I remember Mark Zuckerberg was one quoted saying young people are smarter than old people. Um, you know, I, it's another form of bias. You know, it's just something we have to be aware of uh, just because somebody is, you know, the other thing that's different right now in most companies is most older people will be working for people younger than them. It's very common. I think it's 60 to 70% of people now work for a manager who's younger than they are. So you're, you know, it's very, so if you're an older person or a more senior person, it's also incumbent on you to be sensitive to the fact that your boss may not have been around the block as much as you have. And so maybe you need to be thinking a little bit better on how to make them successful as opposed to them making you successful. That, that actually goes a long way too. It's, it's not just you know, young people treating older people well, it's also older people being sensitive to the issues that younger people are dealing with, uh, both through less experience and just different stages of life. So it, um, I don't think the problem's gone away at all. I think it's just part of our, uh, you know, the fact that we're living longer and we're gonna have more generational diversity in the workforce for, you know, for a long, long time into the future. Well, let's flip, let's flip to that, um, the, the generation who's just graduating college now. I'm curious 
about, we're hearing a lot about how traditional education is decreasing because we're going to be reskilling and upskilling all through our career and it's going to be much more spread out. And that four-year colleges don't necessarily prepare people for the types of things they're going to be doing in the workplace. And what we know now is that a lot of young adults who are just graduating are struggling to, to land any type of meaningful work. Do you think this will impact their careers uh, in terms of their long-term trajectory? You know, I'll tell you the thing that I would give, give people advice or a hard time finding a job, take something, do something well. Every job is a stepping stone to something else. Um, you know, I've had a lot of time. I'm, I've had a pretty long career, 45, 50 years, something like that. I've had a lot of jobs that were really bad, but I struggled through them, learned something, dealt with it and waited, and then something better came along. Um, you'd be surprised, even a job that feels like it's a lateral move or you know, not a promotion is an opportunity to learn. And you may have more impact in that role than you did in a high performing role or a highly um, promotional role um, because your reputation follows you you develop new skills all the time. A lot of what happens in careers is you learn things through just having done them before. And yeah, I messed this up the last time I did it, but the second time I did it, I didn't mess it up quite so bad. And the third time I didn't mess it up at all. And the fourth time I actually did a great job. I mean, you won't get down that learning curve unless you're in the game. So you got to get in the game, work as hard as you can, um, you know, lean into your job, Look at it as an opportunity to help others, not just take care of yourself and good things will happen. And I think that that's been proved out again and again and again and stories about people that started out as janitors or customer service people or you know, worked in very tactical roles and later you know, grew up to be very, very successful in different areas because they just, they just you know, kind of um, leaned into it and learned along the way. And I, I think that's, you know, the advice I give my kids all the time. And, and I think it's been, it's worked out for them too. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for joining us today. There are so many great insights that you just shared in this very short hour. And I know you have lots of other insights coming out in the next few weeks. So can you remind listeners where they can make sure that they catch those reports and re, um, research that you have coming out? Sure. I mean, the simplest way to keep track of me is joshburson.com, one word, B-E-R-S-I-N. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, or if you're an HR person, go to bursonacademy.com and you'll find everything you ever wanted to know about HR and all the cool things going on in the HR profession. Fantastic. Well, we've been delighted to have you here today, Josh. Of course, thank you to Dana and Dion and all of our listeners. That is a wrap for today, but you've been listening to Dr. Dawn on Career, Sirius XM 132. And don't forget to follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Dr. Dawn Graham for the latest career tips, job search advice, and upcoming guests. See you next time. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.